Welcome to Emil Franzink's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And a very pleasant, good uh, Saturday to you. Harry Alexander with you here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. And uh, if we uh, have this thing working correctly, uh, <laughs> you, should be, you should be able to see us. Uh, if not, well, here we are anyway. Well, use your imagination. Yeah, just yeah. use your imagination. Yeah. It'll, uh, just it'll imagine us, you know, fine. 20, 30 years younger. Yeah. There young, you handsome, virile. So, sounds like a plan. <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the horn with us is uh, Todd Roberts out of Los Angeles. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you both? We are both. Well, I know I'm fine. I, uh, I'm fine and frogs here. I suspect Bunker is as well. Um, Did you guys go up and have your breakfast this morning? Uh, yeah, you have we, your annual, yeah, your your weekly breakfast that yeah, yeah, I'm never right. invited to. No, you're invited. It's right every Friday. You know, you're, we, we always save space for you there at the counter, That's just right. in case you show up. That's right. We we do. It's what we do. Does a horseshoe float in the coffee? It might. Well, okay. <laughs> it's kind of the way I like it. If, it, if it's one of those uh, racing plates off the quarter horse track, you there know, you the go. aluminum ones, it it'll probably go. float. Today's program is uh, an interesting one, to say the least. It is intriguing. Intriguing. Yeah. It is about an author. His name is Frank Norris. Benjamin he, Franklin Norris. He was uh, a, a writer in the late 1800s, 1890s, and into the early 1900s. Well, he died in 1902. Well, all right. So, so he still had a couple but of he was, them in But he was published posthumously. Um, and, uh, Quite often. He is he, he he is a writer of uh, uh, naturalist type things. Uh, uh, help me you out. You want an explanation of that? Yeah, yeah, please do. Well, naturalist is a kind of a genre uh, of where there are many many genres, but uh, if you think of Emil Zola, the French uh, French writer, he was kind of probably the father father of modern naturalism and. What that entailed basically was uh, writers wanted, by this time had wanted to get away from the Victorian uh, style of writing, which was florid and and very romantic and and lush and a lot of bodice ripping and that kind of stuff. And it detailed more a form of <laughs> that sounded great. That's kind of catchy. I know, huh? Yeah, but anyhow, it was a, it's a, a form of, of realistic writing. Uh, one way, if you're not familiar with Mr. Norris's writing, uh, is think of somebody like Theodore Roosevelt, who you know, was a, a very prolific writer, wrote tremendous uh, tales. True, uh, for the uh, majority of the stuff was all factual although he did delve in a little bit of fancy once in a while. But the thing about his stories and about Norris's stories uh, is that they were real. In fact, it's, you can see a lot of parallels uh, in his writing to modern filmmaking. And his early writing really lended itself well. Mm-hmm. It, wasn't many, it was some stuff made in silence, but uh, it just, you know, and... I'll just give you some backstory for me why, because I, I had bugged Harry forever and ever to do this, <laughs> and Harry would always give me that lifted eyebrow with the quizzical look and and what the hell are you talking about? Uh, but <laughs> well, when I was a kid, I, you know, I I had a complete collection except for one issue of classic illustrated comics, mm-hmm. and one of the ones in that collection that stood out for me and was one of my favorites was the octopus and of course the classic illustrated version no way in the world would would compare to the actual version of the novel because I mean it's all of the human foibles uh, greed uh, violence sex abuse I mean it's right out of today's uh, tabloid television nice and as I understand, uh, Todd, you have a copy of it there. Did you find it? Uh, well, no, because unfortunately everything's in, st- all, a lot of my books are in storage. 
but I remember this book. I, I uh, do not have an original first 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 uh, printing uh, mm-hmm. first uh, edition. I have a subsequent reprinted, and I have to tell you the your description of the uh, octopus is so interesting because it's so very much the way that the the octopus is portrayed on the cover of that book. Yeah. It's very ominous and. Uh, you know, it, it it although it wasn't an octopus in the Red Witch with John Wayne, uh, Raymond Massey, and uh, uh, Robert Preston. It is a it's a squid, I believe, that gets Wayne and kills him. Yeah. It's one of the very few times Wayne dies in a film. But that 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 um, ominous sea, dark sea mystery. Um, you know, uh, whether it's an octopus or a squid, still it still. Uh, gives me a little bit of the heebie-jeebies, and you know, I, and I think that if you really understand what went on uh, back then and what he's talking about, it would give anybody the heebie-jeebies because of the the true, shall I say, mon- monopolistic monolith that was here in California, but all throughout the country mm-hmm. at that time with the robber barons. Well, we just, Bruce Ash just walked in. Bruce, today's topic is The Octopus by Frank Norris. Now, I know you've got to have some opinions about that. Nope. <laughs> no, no, he, he, just stopped, he just stopped <laughs> he in just to say hey. today. He just yeah. stopped in to say hey. <laughs> well, you know, I, I want to just kind of get, because it's very interesting what you said about the octopus as a creature. In the story, the octopus is a different type of creature. It's a, it's a behemoth of... Of corruption and greed. It's the story, really, of of the Southern Pacific Railroad in California, and their strangulation of the wheat farmers in that area. The um, and the illusion of the octopus is that the head, or being the corporate head, just like in it was very applicable today. It's like the corporate head with all of these tentacles, and which in this case is all of the railroad lines. And one of the things that happened when uh, the Southern Pacific uh, was dealing with California, they got the right-of-way. Every other parcel on the left side, they would get that for I don't know how many acres, hundreds of acres. And then the next parcel would be on the opposite side, and it basically checkerboarded the route of the trains. Now... You know, having a trade uh, a line doesn't mean anything unless you've got something to ship on it. And they had all of this very virile California land out there. And to get people to develop it, the railroads went to the farmers and ranchers of the area and said, Look, we own this land. You come in and improve it. And in five, ten, however long, uh, you get it up to a thing. We'll sell it to you at, at the value today. Well, We've heard that story before. Yeah. <laughs> well, just like you know, just like today, uh, you go in, you you put your money down, and then you end up paying five times what it's worth when it's over. Well, that's what they did when the when these contracts basically ran out. The railroads just astronomically jacked up the prices, and the uh, the ra- farmers and the ranchers. Basically, they just rebelled. They said, no, we're, we're not going to do this. This was a contemporary novel, or, or a novel oh, set in contemporary times uh, when he wrote this. Is that correct? Uh, pretty close. He was probably writing them about 10, because I think this basically happened in the 18, or 1880, early 1880s, and the book itself was written in the late 90s, mm-hmm. and was published, uh, Octopus, I believe, was 1901? Uh, well, the pit was 1901. Okay. Well, I think no, I think you're right. That is 1901, and then the pit, which was the sequel, was 1903, and the third book, the wolf, was never written because he passed away of periodontitis. Uh, I've got like, yeah. No, yeah, he was young, Bunker. He, oh yeah, he, he died at too. 35. Yeah, very young. Periodontitis. Yeah. But you know, your your, your description uh, is so apropos because. You had all of these tentacles reaching out there, strangling the uh, the farmer and ranchers of that era. Was this a book meant to 
I'm not sure the word I'm looking for, but when you have uh, something like Cannery Row exposing all of that uh, stuff, is, is that what this book was essentially supposed to do? Norris was was <coughs> considered one of the early muck raiders. Muck, muck, muck rakers? Muck rakers. He, he was a journalist, too. Yeah, and he was a muck raker. Uh, in fact, uh, about four years after Octopus came out, Upton Sinclair uh, came out with The Jungle, which is one of the most awesome books ever written, I think. I mean, it's one, one of my top favorites. But uh, it was the octopus was the inspiration for The Jungle. It was just mm-hmm. this description of what things had happened. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm trying to find something here in my notes, which is I think is really neat if I can find it here. Uh, well, Todd, have you uh, read any of... Uh, of, oh, uh, his material. Uh, well, I, I know of I know of the stories, and you know uh, this is you know uh, very much in rebellion to the 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 not only the stranglehold you know that was going on in the cities, but also that those robber barons had a stranglehold on out in the West, and you know it's by no accident that Theodore Roosevelt who I think is easily one of our greatest presidents, uh, mm-hmm. and so does Mount Rushmore, um, feel that he was so instrumental in saving us. Not only did he take on the octopus in its many different forms, but he also he then saved the natural beauty of this country right. uh, by creating the historical parks. And our great friend Michael Blake has written the first in his set of a uh, series of three books uh, biographies about Roosevelt and w- how he dealt with this and breaking up the robber barons and the antitrust and so on and and then it, it, putting that line aside because you know otherwise there'd be some guy with his condo you know sitting on top of Lincoln's nose by now mm-hmm. uh with a with a pool um you know mm-hmm. and uh Unfortunately, you know, although it might seem logical to us that, you know, now's the time to stop building or not encroach upon this section of land, there's always going to be somebody somewhere, male or female out there, who's like, oh, no, well, you know, wouldn't it, wouldn't that look great with a water park? <laughs> so, um, you know, and I think that we, we have to be mindful of that. And remember that, um, you know, as Reagan said, you know, um, and I know this is off the subject, but as Ronald Reagan said, you know, socialism is only one or two generations away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that in this case, um, the plunder of nature's beauty is only one or two uh, generations away. And we have to be mindful of it and realize that it's maintenance, that it's never it's never secure uh, permanently. It's only secure permanently when it is handed 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 down from generation to generation with people that are mindful. Well, you know, I, I, not to get off the topic, but I am going to get off the topic for just a second <laughs> because you're really right on about one thing. Uh, you know, a lot of talk about climate change and all that, and the real talk should be about the 700-pound herd of elephants in the room, not one elephant, but hundreds of elephants in the room, and that is overpopulation. You know, it's not popular, nobody wants to talk about it, nobody wants to acknowledge it, but, and and it's what the novel's about in a way, it's about consumption. Our, 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 our economy is based on consumption. Uh, we went from a c- economy that was agrarian to uh, uh, productive, and now it's based on consumption. It's not based on what you do, it's based on what you consume. Now, that's the end of my speech. Now, I do want to... Well, this, is, this is the thing that I want to point out, really, because this sets the whole tone for the novel. Uh, his inspiration was what was called the Muscle Slough Tragedy. It was a shootout that killed several men and made the surviving ranchers into local heroes. It took place on May 11th, 1880, on a farm five and a half miles north of Hanford in the central San Joaquin Valley, and it was the site of one of the bloodiest gunfights in the Old West. 
seven men were killed. I mean, more men were killed there than at OK Corral or at the Power Brothers shootout up in the up in the uh, mountains here, just north of Tucson. And well, my mom was uh, was born in uh, a little town in Stigler, Oklahoma, a very rural part of Oklahoma, about two hours east of Oklahoma City. But she, when she's seven, my grandmother um, packed up her and her four sisters. And uh, they uh, moved out to uh, Richmond, California, first Pittsburgh, California, mm -hmm. then Richmond, California, and eventually settled in Corcoran, which is probably le no, no more than 15 miles away from Hanford. So I grew up in, I, I, every summer we went to visit my grandparents and all those towns of Hanford, Tulare, uh, Hanford, Tulare, and uh, Visalia, and Corcoran, and all those little sister cities amongst them. It's it's still kind of an idyllic community, but I can imagine that gunfight um, must have been pretty rugged. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things, too, is that a lot, a lot of the people that write about writing and write about writers and, and literature, they all say basically the same thing, is that... Uh, Steinbeck, with the Grapes of Wrath, the East of Eden, uh, very much was a shadow of what the what he had presented in the Octopus. That uh, you know, if you're if you were if people back then would have been familiar with it, you know, being local history. But for the nation as a whole, this would have been very revealing, you know. And and again, you know, that that whole era of muckraking uh, journalism. Uh, you can't compare it to journalism today because the journalism of today is not about, hey, we have a problem, let's improve it. The journalism of today is, hey, we got a problem, how can we exploit it? Yeah, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's a real good uh, analogy there. We've got to take our first, very first commercial break here. On the program, you are listening to Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. And uh, we're talking about... Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hello, friends. This is Laura Darnell, the host of Homegrown KC, a podcast dedicated to exploring Kansas City's fascinating history and sharing stories from its rich past. Each episode will cover a person, place, or event from Kansas City's history. Homegrown KC can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. For additional information about the show, please visit my website, homegrownkc.wordpress.com. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. Oh, my darling. Oh, my darling. Oh, my darling. 
music on Amol Franzi's uh, Voices of the West, Saturday the 12th of October. Uh, Don't know what time it is or day it is when you are listening to this. Or or what year. Or what year or whatever, (laughs) but howdy. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Todd Roberts is with us, Bunker to France, Harry Alexander. We're talking about author Frank Norris, author of a bunch of books. Uh, One of the more important ones was Octopus. You know, I'm going to run just to give you an idea because, you know, a lot of times you, you think maybe he's a one-book guy or maybe two or three. And this, this is going to be a little tedious, but I'm going to give you a quick rundown here on some of his books. A Man's Woman, Van Over and the Butte, uh, A Deal in Wheat and Other Stories of the New and Old West, Bricks, Moran of the Lady, Lady Letty, Novels and Essays, The Responsibilities of the Novelist, and other literary essays, the best short stories of Frank Norris. What happened, Harry? Got a got a hum there. You just keep on going. Okay, okay. The best short stories. Of Frank. <laughs> the third circle. Harry's over here. His eyeballs are bugging out. The sweat is popping out on his. Trying forehead. to find out why in the world I got this <laughs> hellacious hum. Yeah, this came from nowhere. The joyous miracle. Uh, a novelist in the making, The Surrender of Santiago, which is really an interesting book. It was uh, had to do with the uh, Cuban War, the Spanish-American War. The Literary Criticism of Frank Norris, he was a very prolific uh, uh, magazine writer. I lost uh, Love, I lost was The Lost Story, At Last to Kill Amanda, Shanghai, A Story of Adventure Off the California Coast, and California Storybook, and that's just to give you an idea. He wrote around 600 articles, essays, uh, critiques, uh, just v- tremendously prolific. And this is weird, Harry. I know it is. <laughs> that's all right, I can live. I'm gonna pull it. out my gun and shoot it. Yeah, well, stand by. Careful, <laughs> careful of ricochets. But uh, that just gives you an idea. If you don't mind, uh, indulge me. I. I I found a, co- a copy of the book I have oh, online, okay. and uh, the octopus is there, and each tentacle is wrapped around something different. One's wrapped around a farmer or farmers. One's wrapped around the stagecoach. One ra- is wrapped around a, 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 a clipper, um, and you know so on. And the description of the book on Amazon is. Like the tentacles of an octopus, the tracks of the railroad reach out across California as if to grasp everything in a value in the state based on an actual bloody dispute between wheat farmers and the Southern Pacific Railroad in 1880. The octopus was a stunning novel of the waning days of the frontier of the West. To the tough-minded and self-reliant farmers, the monopolistic, land-grabbing railroad represented everything they despised. Consolidation, organization, conformity. But Norris idealizes no one in this epic depiction of the volatile situation, for the farmers themselves ruthlessly exploited Mm -hmm. the land, and in their hunger for larger holdings, they resorted to the same tactics used by the railroad. Subversion, coercion and outright violence. In his introduction, Ken, Kevin Starr discusses Norris's debt to Zola for the novel's extraordinary sweep, scale, and abundance of characters and details. And I'll just to go on and mention that, you know, there's a great book out right now called The King of California, and it's the story of the, of the, uh, the Boswell family, but most importantly, the Boswell uh, the, the head of the Boswell, the patriarch of the Boswell family from the late 40s into the 50s and 60s. Mm. I know that name because um, when you pull into Corcoran, there is a large, shall I say, feed um, or trucking all in one lot off to the right as you come over the train tracks and you enter the town of Corcoran, and there are two large grain silos. Uh, Corcoran is mostly a cotton town, and on the side of one of those silos is printed simply the name Boswell. And they control that town and really all that whole area. And he was, he, he's, I'm sure his descendants are alive, I know they are. He um, basically was the king of California, if not at least 
the San Joaquin Valley of California, which is the valley we're talking about here, the central farming valley of California, which uh, was, he was a very powerful person. Looked pretty unassuming, the cowboy hat and jeans, but wielded uh, wielded uh, his power like an octopus. That's generally the way it is. The fellow with the power is the fellow that's uh, the least obvious a lot of times. You just kind of How true. In. How true. Uh, especially when you think like back in our days of... Uh, uh, you know, in Hollywood, when you think about somebody like Lou Wasserman, who was the most powerful yeah. uh, person in Hollywood and the last person to be known as the king, when, in a great book written called "When When When Hollywood Had a King," right. and uh, he yielded power um, in a very wide, wide swath, and um, he was sometimes. He could be merciful, and other times he could be completely merciless. You know, that's and, interesting uh, because there's a parallel. You know, your description of him in the second book of the series, The Pit, that's almost a description of the uh, the young man who is cornering the wheat market. Uh, it's His story is like Wasserman's, you know, uh, starting out from virtually nothing, building everything uh, to almost a megalomaniac, uh, desire to to control and be the one that made the decisions and was you know nothing like nothing got away from him. Exactly, and 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 if we think back, um, I know we're not talking about Western films as using examples, but I don't I I can't think of a better example than Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. Um, although he didn't come from nothing, he came he came from money, uh, as did the Boswells, but. You know, in the case of Lou Wasserman, your example is true. You know, he started out as an usher at a movie theater in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, he went to college and he he volunteered to, uh, he was a volunteer, non-paid uh, volunteer for FDR uh, through his first campaign. And he won, you know, um, his elections and, and uh, Lou continued to work up his way up the ladder in life and eventually landed with MCA, became the protege of uh, Jules Stein, uh, who was a very powerful person also. Mm-hmm. All of the speakeasies uh, in New York and Chicago and Philadelphia and in Boston uh, really were under the proviso of MCA, Music Corporation of America, and um, Capone dealt with them directly. And you could not get a job uh, in any of those places unless uh, Capone or uh, one of the other gangs, you know, they all owned all of them. And the only place they went to for talent was MCA. And uh, eventually, you know, it's important to remember that uh, like uh, Boswell and like the characters in Octopus, you know, they did things sometimes uncon- uh, non-conventionally, but at the same time always ended up on the, with the, at the same finish line of tremendous power, uh, wealth, and almost un- almost absolute power that was unrivaled. A Hollywood mafia, really. Completely. How were how were uh, Norris's books received by the uh, public um, at that time? They uh, his first first work was, mm, but uh, McTeague, which uh, is considered one of the greatest books of all time, was tremendously popular and successful. Uh, in fact, uh, with the octopus. They, well, actually, no, excuse me, but with the pit, the sequel, they had to hold up the release date uh, a couple of months because it was running serialized in the Saturday Evening Post, mm. and so consequently, that was kind of the avenue back then. We see it in some of the early westerns, you know, with John Ford, stagecoach. Mm-hmm. It was a serialized two-parter, I believe, in in Saturday Evening Post. Mm-hmm. But the thing that is just so 
to me amazing about this, if you go to uh, McTeague, which is actually is a predecessor to Octopus, uh, it's about a, it's about a dentist. You know, that's he's the hero, but there is no hero in Norris's books. Mm-hmm. But one of the things about McTeague is that it created it was so successful it created probably one of the most controversial and probably one of the greatest films Hollywood ever made Greed Greed was the the movie title for McTeague which Von Stroheim directed and he directed it almost per page wow. uh, it, was, it ran over nine hours the studio cut it down to around three I've saw I've saw clips and uh, sections of it, and you talk about you, you see that and you understand what naturalism is. Mm. It's it's about you know here's an everyday guy. He's a dentist. He marries a woman, you know, a Swiss lady. Uh, she wins the lottery for a thousand dollars. It changes her life. She becomes a miser. <laughs> uh, he's he's a self-taught dentist, so he isn't he doesn't really have credentials. Eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fellow that he stole the girl from rats him out about not having credentials. So now, all of a sudden, he's unemployed. And he go, he's going to getting his uh, pitcher of steam beer. And you, well, now he wants money to buy beer because he no longer has an occupation. Hmm. And his treatment of her, uh, I don't like, it's not a topic I'm happy to dwell on, mm-hmm. but... His nature comes out, and what it is basically, and it's throughout all of his work, is that environment and heredity, which is the Darwinist uh, type of approach to how things work mm-hmm. in life, right, right. Uh, that they are victims of their class. Mm. And at one point in there, uh, he's like chewing on her fingers to get the money. I mean, it's just the the... And it's not it's not like uh, sadism like you like yeah, it's yeah. exploited yeah, today. Right. It's like it is in real life. Like, yep, uh, a spouse abuses another spouse uh, to get what they want, whether it's slapping around or in his case. And you know, it just and the irony of the whole story. And again, like I say, greed is considered one of the most important film. I, that's one of the first films when I started reading about films that I read about because. It seemed like everybody started their book on films with greed. Interesting. We're talking about uh, the author Frank Norris and uh, uh, some of the books that he wrote uh, in the 1890s and uh, then some published posthumously after his death in, what, 1902? And uh, it's Bunker to France, Todd Roberts, and Harry Alexander. We will be back with much more. And Bruce Ash. Well, Bruce Ash is sitting quietly in the corner here. Um, (laughs) There had been an attempt to do a Facebook uh, transmission video, but that has since uh, gone the wayside because I have no idea what went wrong. That was the hum? That wasn't the hum. Uh, It was some gremlin that got in here, and, you know, it's that time of year. He brought it in. It may have. It's gremlins, you know. Anywho, we've got to take another commercial break here. We'll be back with much more right after these gremlins. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Paul Ash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Paul Ash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. 
He recently served two tours in Afghanistan, where he received a Bronze Star for heroism and a Purple Heart for injuries sustained in combat. He recently left military service, and now he's unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Many of our men and women in uniform gave up good jobs and careers to join the military and take up the fight for freedom around the globe. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Please join with the American Legion, the nation's largest veteran service organization, in recognizing that veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. The training and experience they receive in the military is second to none. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honorveterans to find out how you can help. Hello? I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like The Alexa Quote of the Show And may the odds be ever in your favor And have a From the Cutting Room Floor segment That is an open forum to discuss anything From our thoughts of a Netflix TV series To our experiences with movie subscriptions Such as the AMC Stubbs or MoviePass So, after finishing this podcast Please give the Movie Zouts podcast a listen We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play Simply search Movie Zouts Until then, that's a wrap my name is Neil Summers. I started my 53-year stunt profession on High Chaparral and Gunsmoke and a few other shows. And I'm still active, and uh, I want to thank Voices for the West for having me on. It's the Voices of the West. And we are back on Amo Frenzy's Voices of the West. Uh, Saturday for us, Neil Summers, good friend of yours, Bunker. Very good friend. Bunker to friends here. I might have to give him a call. Let yeah. him know we, he uh, get a guest shot today. There you go. He'll, he'll want money, you uh, know. Well, of course. Uh, <laughs> if we had Collier on, of course, that, that's all the... Collier! <laughs> well, Collier is here. He's just sitting over quiet next, <laughs> next to Bruce, you know. Hey, Harry, when are you going to have me back on the show anyway? Yeah, real soon, real soon. Todd Roberts is with us from Los Angeles. And no, Don, yes, uh, no, gentlemen. No, no, uh, 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 Don Collier is not in the studio with us. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? There's a good chance he'll be down at the ranch for the Nash, uh, for the celebration of the really uh, cowboy oh, cool. coming at the first Saturday in no, November, mm, November third, or whatever. Like, yeah, he's going to sit there with the Arbuckle folks and right. and talk to people. Coffee yeah. that won the West. There you go. We are talking about author Frank Norris. And uh, his uh, contribution to uh, li- to society, in the literary word world, uh, among his books, the octopus. The octopus. You know, I'm going to read something here. This is this is something that he uh, said shortly before his death. Uh, and this is, uh, I never truckled, I never took off the hat into fashion and held it out for pennies. I told him the truth. They liked it or they didn't like it. <laughs> what that had to do with me, I told him the truth. <laughs> and that does sum him up in pretty much, you know. Ooh, I know. Quit touching things, Harry. I, well, things keep making noise. And I so know, I know. Just a touchy kind of guy, like a Joe Biden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Joe. 
<laughs> I like Uncle Joe for uh, for a Democrat. He's a nice guy. Yeah, as a president, I don't there know. You go. But, All you right. know, it's, but that's not what we're about. We, today. We, if we want to talk politics, we'll talk politics of Ooh, the eighteen eighties. Yeah, we'll talk politics of the eighteen eighties. By golly, and Bruce, could, <laughs> Bruce, he knows he, he knows that stuff. He does. But he does. He's just here as an observer today. Yeah, I'm an observer. So I want to talk about another book of his just please. for a minute. Uh, it's a deal in wheat and other stories of the new and old west and it was made up of uh, nine short stories uh, a deal in wheat had, which had nothing to do with the octopus or the or the series uh, basically was about a, a rancher who tries to better himself things go wrong he loses the ranch he loses his wife and like an awful lot of his stories they're, they're kind of like real life Things don't come out well in the end. Mm. It's kind of an old Henry uh, type or Bret Hart type of thing, but not without the happy endings. But there's uh, the wife of Chino is another one. This is where the uh, the uh, has to do with the, a mine and a ranch, and the the manager has kind of an eye for the foreman's wife, mm. but. He's an honorable man, and he won't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Now, over time, she kind of realizes that and starts to warm up to him, and he still will not do it. Mm. Well, it comes a day they have to send a shipment of, from the mine to into town, and Chino draws the job. Well, he finds out there, there's a bandit in the area, and he, he, he takes off after him trying to get there. Well, he gets down and he reaches a, a point where it's, well, I'm not going to catch him. So he turns around and he's starting to head back. And out of the darkness, a horseman is coming at him. And he, he, he spooks. He, he thinks it's the highwayman. And he shoots, he shoots the guy. Well, it's Chino. Hmm. And he ends up with the wife. And, of course, or, or you should say, she wants now to go with him, and he wants nothing to do with her now because yeah, right. he realizes you <laughs> know, she's did. just an opportunist. Yeah. Now, it, it huh. moves on to another story. Uh, some of the titles are great. A Bargain with Peg Leg. Now, this story here has to do with a young guy who is just starting out. He's in one of the gold camps, and there's this old-timer who is uh, was an outlaw and was famous for being in in fact they did a death valley day about him where he's in a shootout he gets shot in the leg and he ends up amputating his own leg right. and then carving his own peg leg well in his later days he became kind of an evangelist for no no cussing hmm. and any, anyhow in the story a fight breaks out in the saloon and he whips off his leg to start beating people over the heads with it well this young guy grabs it away from him and throws it out the window. So everything's all settled. Now he's got the leg back, and the young guy is going, oh, I've got to face this bad old SOB. <laughs> and, but he makes a deal with him. He will never cuss again if he doesn't beat him half to death with the leg, and he goes for it. <laughs> and I'll just mention one more story in here, and then we'll let it go, because this is my favorite story in there. I told you about this one Friday. Mm -hmm. It's called... The Passing of Cockeyed Blacklock. Mm -hmm. And it's a great story because Blacklock, again, is one of these guys. He's a, not a full-fledged outlaw, but he's kind of he's a card cheat. Uh, he goes into a town, fleeces everybody, and, by, and then they run him out. Mm -hmm. So anyhow, by this time in the story, he is in this new town, and he's found a new occupation, fishing. But he fishes with dynamite. <laughs> and the locals, they kind of, they frown on this because there's getting to be less and less fish, and it makes it harder for the guy that's going out there with a hook and a worm. Kind of it, like in kind of like in Louisiana. That's yeah, kind of like what, what Dreyfus would do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there but, you go. <laughs> but anyhow, the sheriff up there, they finally say, we've had enough of this. So they go out and they build a bunch of boxes like they do for, you know, for deer hunting up in the tree. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to catch this guy. Mm -hmm. And they're still not catching them. Well, one one day he goes out to do They're up in the trees, and he goes out to do it. Well, one of the guys in the tree, his dog followed him out. And he's sitting there faithfully under the tree. He gets scent of old cockeye, and he follows him down to the down to the pond. Old cockeye lights his stick of dynamite, and he tosses it out there in the middle of the pond. 
and good old Fido, like good old Fido's do, he goes out there and that fetches it and comes back. Cockeye takes off running. The old Fido loves this new game, yep. and he chases him down. Well, the summation of the story is uh, seven little pieces of him and Fido was all they found. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's not funny, but it is funny. Yeah. I mean, I'm it, sorry. It's tragic. <laughs> yeah, but it's still funny. Yeah, it's just it's very funny. I can, I can see it. You know, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the great Mort Saul um, took this saying and used it many times. He's how, who I heard it from, but I've, I subsequently have heard it from others, which is the winners write history. And, you know... Uh, it's interesting because if you go on and research online these robber barons, um, some you know they they can be known as robber barons. Other times they're known as known as captains of industry yeah, or right. titans of business. <laughs> yeah. And I think from whose perspective of you, whose camp you're in, or which side you're on, or from wherever your view of the bridge is, is how you decide to define or categorize these fellas there is a restaurant in um in um um in um there is a restaurant in uh, um 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 in uh there's a restaurant in san francisco called the four kings and it's dead it's dedicated to stanford crocker hopkins and um the fourth one, who basically built the Pacific mm. uh, line. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you would think that amongst the four of them, they had money and were wealthy and so on and so forth. But even there, they, um, you know, there's no honor among thieves because one of them got rid of the other three and, <laughs> in the end, owned all of it mm -hmm. by himself. So... They weren't even they weren't even pals, um, but you know we see this in other examples such as uh, uh, the Warner Brothers story. You know there were three brothers at Warner Brothers. Um, there's Harry and Jack, the most powerful, and the third one. Well, when when Jack uh, he he got the one brother out, and Harry was pretty tough, and he was he was that wasn't going to happen to him. And when Jack pulled it off against him, um. He got a hold of a monkey wrench on one of the sets, and he started chasing Jack up and down every row of Warner Brothers. And uh, he, you know, he said, uh, um, "You obviously forgot what I told you, so I'm going to make you remember now, because I'm going to put a nice big imprint on your head with this monkey wrench." And Jack, he ran after him for a good twenty minutes, and he finally was able to hide from him. Wow. But uh, you know, it's. It, Absolute power corrupts absolutely, absolutely every time, and I think this is a perfect example of it here with the uh, the these great stories uh, by Mr. Norris. And with that, we will do our final commercial break. This is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Bunker de France, Harry Alexander, and Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. We've got one more break to do. We're going to do that right now. Besides bringing millions a year into this community with national and international events, the Tucson Trap and Skeet Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway services the local shooting sports community with a 380-acre site featuring trap, skeet, pipe stand, and two sporting clays fields, as well as a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, which all is available to local shooters, and soon an archery range. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com or take a drive out west of town and see it for yourself. New members or single-day use, welcome. Hi, this is Joe Montaigne. Every time my Uncle Willie tells me about his service in Patton's Third Army in World War II, I'm reminded of what we owe the U.S. Army. Fourteen generations of American soldiers who have courageously defended our nation. Their stories represent the best of America and should never be forgotten. Join me to help build the National Museum of the United States Army, a long overdue tribute to all American soldiers. To learn more, Visit armyhistory.org. 
Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Old Western Radio Theatre every Saturday at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time only on the Voices of the West. VOW Radio. Western prairie. My ceiling is the star colored sky, and my song the sigh of the breeze. My home's a prairie. Oh, yes, my home's a prairie. Rudy Scooter and his Californians. What was your name again? Rudy Scooter and his Californians. Oh, perfect. Rudy Scooter and his Californians. <laughs> can't forget the kids, Californians. Oh, I can't yeah. remember what That was the theme with the show. I can't remember what movie that came from. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Thank goodness Amel did not, uh, wasn't the manager of that band, or he would have <laughs> named them Rudy Scooter and the Prune, uh, the prune Pickers. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, you know, you got, you got to honor, you know, it's just like, the wheat farmers and the prune prune farmers of California built the state. Without yes. those guys, you wouldn't have what you what you got over there now. Well, I'm guessing the, the wine folk would have a lot to say about that. Well, they too. whine about it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. you know, just to kind of wrap this up, because we've been talking about the the gentleman, but we haven't really been talking about him himself. He came from a uh, affluent family. His father was a super successful uh, jewelry jewelry dealer. Uh, His mother had been an aspiring actress and uh, gave up her career with marriage, which was very common then. Uh, uh, But she was a super indulgent mother. His father was much like some of the characters in the book. Very, very driven. uh, Ignored his wife. In fact, they finally ended up divorcing because Mm. he just, you know, abuse. And then it was the abuse of of ignoring her, mm-hmm. but he went on. This is it's so funny because in school, he was obviously a very brilliant student in everything except math, and he went to, he went to University of Berkeley, and he went as a special student because one the family could pay for it like they do today. You know, he just didn't spend half a million dollars to do it, uh, but. Uh, he couldn't pass the math exams. He spent uh, four years there and left without a degree. And he was very, very active. He, he was part of one of the major fraternities there. They have every year they have a special Frank Norris uh, celebration, which has to do with a duck roast and and all of the and it's done throughout the whole country where this uh, fraternity exists. And he's very much on it. Well, he goes from there. He goes to Harvard. And again, he's supposed to be, and he's he's primarily supposed to be majoring in art, uh, which he's not doing that much, mostly working towards literature. Uh, He's, he was on the journalism paper at Berkeley, was the editor uh, in Harvard. He was not as outstanding of a character because it was obviously a bigger school. Mm -hmm. But he spends a year at Harvard. He then goes over to France and studies at one of the major art schools over there. While he's there, uh, he writes his first book for his younger brother. uh, I think it's Charles, about 11 years younger. And it's basically based off of his interest in medieval armor. And it's written as like Sir Walter uh, Scott as a poetic novel. Interesting. And so, you know, you're seeing you know, a protein talent as far as it comes to writing. Mm-hmm. Now, he, finish, he, he finishes his studies there. He comes back. He's worked, he's worked for a couple of papers and stuff in California. He ends up, and this is while he's writing, working on the preliminaries to his novels, he work, ends up with McClure Magazine. And while he's there, he's sent off 
to cover the Boer War in South Africa mm -hmm. in 1886. Mm -hmm. Two years later, he's down in Cuba covering the Spanish-American War. Hmm. And apparently he got in trouble in South Africa uh, because he was favoring the one side and the Boers took him capture and, and uh, just basically said, you know, if you want to get out alive, now's a good time to leave that South Africa. What? He wasn't reporting what was happening? Probably. He, he was reporting what he thought? I think he probably was, in, uh, being a naturalist writer, he was probably saying, yeah, that 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 uh, Zulu disemboweled the uh, English <laughs> captain, and he's he's got the genitals and the... And the if we're all up in the air waving it around to everybody to show how what a great warrior he is and yeah. of course you know that kind of stuff could get you in trouble especially with the boars well yeah okay i guess so i don't <laughs> think they had any censors <clears throat> military oh, censors at the time well i think they did but they not, did, not but like not, we did it no was a, it no. was basically your commanding officer or whoever it went through that cleared it right yeah uh, some many times things would go through that were not cleared yeah <laughs> A lot of things aren't clear to me here. Well, you know, you know you're in a fog anyway all yeah, the time. I like fogs. <laughs> There's something rheumatic about a fog. Yeah, I guess so. So, Well, just enough liquor and you, you can create your own fog. <laughs> there you go. Hey, the mist of, of Scotland has got to be why Scotch is so good. <laughs> what's, wrong, what's wrong with a fog or a mist? So this guy was a pretty important character uh, in the uh, around the turn of the 20th he century. He was colorful. He was... He was uh, definitely somebody that stood out and apart from uh, the pack. Mm -hmm. And, of course, his writing talent was it was so funny because when, it, when his books, especially Matigue, when it first came out, all of the critics and all of the writers all over the country just hated it because it was not that Victorian... Uh, you know, again, bodice snatching, florid language. Something and, completely and different. Panting breasts and, mm -hmm. and, you know, handsome, dashing heroes that could conquer anything. Mm -hmm. And here's it comes along with real people in real situations that don't handle them well. In other words, they're not handling them like heroes. They're handling them like, you know, like the, the guy that ends up in the gutter because mm. they're just not equipped with it. In McTeague, uh, the the book starts out with a description of him. He's about six foot four, uh, shock of blonde hair. He worked. He, he got his early working as a as a box boy in the mines. Basically, a box boy was the guy who would push the carts of ore mm -hmm. after they were filled out to the dump. Mm -hmm. And they describe his fingers there as being like sausages, and that sometimes. When he would be extracting a tooth, instead of using the tools, he'd just reach in there with his, his <laughs> huge fingers and do it by brute strength. Ouch! And that's, you know, it's just his description. And not, not only that, but the description of the land, the people, the streets. Uh, you know, I like that kind of writing. I know there's some people that, you know, oh, that's just too much information. I just want to get to the shooting or the romance, or whatever it is, it's, it's, it's you know, they like it in their literature. But uh, definitely not a Louis L'Amour. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's about all the time we got for this one. Uh, next time, when we get together, we will be talking with W. Michael Farmer. Yeah. And uh, he has a, a, a new book out uh, about Apacheria, True Stories. And while well, it's not that new, it came out last year, but it's uh, in the running for some pretty heavy awards. And, you know, he has another book, too, about Yellow Boy, which had dealt with the Mescaleros. Yeah. And that book has had nothing but favorable response. Well, he's got a ton of stuff out. Yeah. So we'll be talking with him next time we get together here on Amal Friends. He's Voices of the West. Todd, thanks much for joining us today. Thank you, amigo. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. It was a real pleasure. And it was a, a very, very nice surprise to have you call. We really yeah, appreciate you, it. You do that more often. Yeah. yeah. Anytime. Well, thank you, Bunker. Uh, I, I I will try to make this a more reoccurring habit. Uh, your your input is just your, we can't put a value on it. There you go. All right. Thanks much, uh, Todd, Bunker, for joining you, us. You, I used to say when people said that to me, "You've been speaking to my mother," <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, obviously that's not the case any longer because she's no longer with us. But 
I appreciate the compliment nonetheless. Well, her values are with us. There you go. All right. That's all yes. the time we have for today. Thanks so much for joining us, Bunker. Thank you. And, well, thank you, Harry. And, uh, thank you, Bruce. That's about all the time. That is, in fact, all the time we've got for today. So until next time. Adios. So long. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.